0: never alone with and mark
1: hi everyone and welcome to Tag never alone season two episode 14. i'm your lived experience host joe ambridge
0: and i'm psychotherapist and relationship counselor and joe's co-host mark fielding
1: um and today's topic is social media and mental health um we're joined by two guests who i'm going to introduce shortly so if you're wondering a little bit about what the topic is about, it's about the impacts that social media can have on mental health. I'm sure a lot of us uh, um, are <laughs> famous for maybe letting Facebook affect us. There's stuff like fear of missing out, which is abbreviated to FOMO. So you, stuff like looking online and seeing people out and about and be, maybe getting jealous and then that will subsequently affect your mental health. Um, I uh, definitely think <laughs> yeah, I'm guilty of that. I don't know about you, Mark.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> probably, yeah.
1: pro- probably stuff like body image as well is probably quite a big thing in social media. These people posing all these filters and selfies where they look really good. I and mean, then you're like, "Ah, oh, I should look like that. Um, but yeah, uh, enough of my rambling. I will introduce our first guest. We're joined by Dr. Eileen Dele- Allegado, is it?
2: Yes, yeah. you got
1: it. Well, thank you for joining us. I think just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. Thank you
2: for having me. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I'm a clinical psychologist and a director of Mindset Consulting Psychology. That's a private practice based here in Sydney, Australia. And mainly it's a group of psychologists that I lead and we see individuals, couples and in groups, mainly in... Um, also the corporate markets, but we call them the high functioning dysfunctionals, you know, so by no means it's a, an acute setting, but, you know, more and more we're finding that mental health is so prevalent, even in the people that are functioning well, quote, unquote. So the practice mainly sees a lot of those professionals. And also, you know, speaking about today's topic, it's something that I'm personally quite passionate about. My background is in neuropsychology. So a lot of my research in terms of how the brain responds to certain things fascinated me to this topic. And it's something that I've spoken about a lot in the media. So Thank
1: you for having me. awesome. So, um, what sort of things? Can, what sort of impacts could social media have on mental health? Like, even just scrolling through Face, but can probably, uh, I guess, could probably have an impact on your mental health.
2: Sure, look at it from what you've mentioned before, it's, um, you know, the feeling of FOMO and, you know, the, the fear of missing out in comparison to others, which is like on the outside, the very obvious causes that makes someone think differently about themselves. But on a deeper level, it creates um, problematic symptoms like depression and anxiety. And to some extent, you know, because it's actually something that has only really been around for around a a little bit over a decade, we can really track the use of a whole generation of people, of young adults that when they were the Gen, I'd say they were the Gen Z. So they would be at intermediate school when um, social media came out. And based on the research that they've done on depression, anxiety, and suicide among teens, it has increased a staggering 150%. And that could be correlated from 2009 when there was like a peak of when the smartphones came out to, you know, 2013. And so it's actually quite really um, such an influential piece of life now that we don't even know the subtleties at which people can use this not just for good but you know for more of the sinister parts Mm. and causing problems like mental health
1: yeah it's something we've covered before like some of the stuff we've spoken about in like our bullying episode um and one of our previous episodes we were talking to um drew from midnight beast we were talking about stuff like love island stuff like bullying people can use it as a platform to cyber bully people can use it to comment on photos of people like, especially, like, regarding you go on a show like Love Island, the amount of abuse that people get from, on social media from that, like, it's literally led to so many people deactivating, like, Instagram or deactivating Twitter.
0: And also suicides. I mean, I, I don't mm. know whether you, you know, what Love Island is like or even whether you have it over there, but, but over here, there's been lots of contestants that have committed suicide after being on the show. So, yeah, I mean, and often I think social media has been the trigger for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's really interesting what you were saying about Gen Z because this is, I guess, the first generation that have completely grown up with social media, which is kind of fascinating. I mean, I wanted to ask you, and I'm guessing the reasons for the depression and the anxiety and, and perhaps the suicide that connects with social media are very complex. But, but what are the links, would, would you say, as much as you can see?
2: Uh, Well, the the main links in terms of tracing it back to organic causes is that it has the capacity to change the rewiring in your brain. So similarly, what they found is that the, the way that social media activates the reward system, the dopamine reward system in our brain, so that's the chemical that makes us feel good. Tends to be the same which follows a similar pattern as they have seen in gambling and substance abuse right so by definition, this is a, a substance that people consume that has this addictive quality and creates behavioural modification in people, both physiologically and psychologically and emotionally. So it starts off as, I guess, this kind of um, participation in the community. It starts off with wanting to connect with other people as a means of finding ways to entertain ourselves. And then so it takes on from that. And because of the way that our brains respond to Um, the likes and the retweets, which is basically like, it's like a rush of um, dopamine in your brain that makes you feel good. The subsequent effect of that is then it makes us want it more. And the more we have it, the more we need it. And so it kind of becomes this negative spiral that makes us dysregulated in some ways. And just like any substance abuse, problem it becomes a problem in it of itself
0: Mm. that's really really interesting I mean I know myself you know I I deactivated my Facebook account years ago but I still go on Twitter and yeah and I I just notice the the kind of physiological arousal when I'm on you know so I'll be fairly well regulated if I happen to look I tend to look at Twitter in the morning I'll put it on and I'm scrolling and I notice internally you know I'm, I'm getting really really kind of physiologically aroused, you know in, in, in a bad way you know I'm getting quite anxious I'm scrolling I'm it, There's. so I mean and, and I only kind of look at for maybe I don't know 20 minutes a day I mean some people I guess on social media all day aren't they mm-hmm. off and on
2: yeah and that, yeah. and that's part of the danger of it is the access and the availability of something that is that addictive you know we didn't really know how it was functioning in terms of use until we have had more data but as what you've said Mark before there's just this physiological reaction that even if that wasn't the reason that you were on it for some reason if it's something that you start to use more of you start to have these physiological feelings of it's like being rewarded for something and at the same time knowing that you want to stop but not having the ability to do so.
1: I think as well stuff like notifications as matt was saying the other day i think turning your notifications off could be beneficial but i think because you've got notifications on for facebook it's going to make you want to look at what's making the notification happen so if someone messages you you hear a noise you're going to want to respond to it and i think a lot of us are probably guilty of doing that and then you're drawn in and then you don't even realize how much time you're spending on it um I'm definitely guilty of some of that. Like I've deactivated Twitter one before. The only reason I have Twitter now is to do promotional stuff with the podcast, but I had it, and when I had it, the amount of times people, I'd see people tweet stuff about me, not very nice things about me, or um, see other people being abusive to other people, and it really does affect you, even though it's online and it's not in physical form, it still affects you because then other people are seeing that, and then they might think the same thing about you, and I've also had stuff where people have made hate groups or have messaged sent me death threats on Facebook and it does really affect you. It. it gives it kind of gives people that platform to be brave that where they might not be in real life, they wouldn't probably say it to your face. There's a whole like keyboard warrior situation.
2: Yeah, and that definitely escalates the the bullying aspect of it, doesn't it? And that affects especially celebrities, as you mentioned earlier about the Love Island contestants. you know, why it's now prolific in terms of, you know, it it can make you famous in just uh, overnight, in just an instant, but at the same time, it could be cancelled just this quickly, right? And then a lot of people's um, self-esteem and self-worth are really then pinned on The likes, and you know, it's people's lives that are at stake for something that no one, no single person will be responsible for it because, you know, as a collective, people behave differently when, as you said, Joe, when you know, there is no accountability, there is no way of tracing things back to themselves when there's a lot of people that they can hide behind. And yeah, just the desensitization of group dynamics changes in a virtual world.
1: Yeah, and it also gives people stuff like catfish as well, where people catfish, I don't know if you've heard of catfishing, where people pretend to be someone they're not, just to kind of get someone's attention. There's even a TV show on it as well. Like I've had people try and catfish me, pretending to be a girl, and then arranging to meet up. But a lot of the time, because I've watched these shows and I know a lot, like people ask certain questions, or the, a lot of the time I figured out who it was straight away, and I've kind of still gone along with it, but then tricked them into asking the same questions again, and then realizing who it was, and then saying, "Oh, if you carry on, I will report you to the police." but obviously other people might not be as lucky. So they'll play along and then they'll be like, oh, this person is really interested in me. And then it's obviously not who they say they are. It could be a young girl, portrayed as a young girl, but it would be an older man or an older person. And it is a platform that probably, I think they're introducing something here where you have to verify your age now. So eventually they're gonna do it so you can only use Facebook. And you have to prove your age before you use Facebook because then they can track you if you're doing anything like that.
3: Mm-hmm. Which are
2: really, which are really good things that have come out now in terms of security and privacy. Because as as we've said before, it's so new that this is all. Um, we're actually adapting as we're knowing or finding out more about its uses and the downsides of having it and people changing their identity and the really sinister stuff that goes on on the internet.
0: And I think it is really, you know, really difficult for, I guess, if someone's being cyber bullied or someone's being stalked online, you know, I think it's so easy for, you know, maybe the older generation to say, well, look, listen, just don't go, just don't go on social media you know but it's such an integral part of young people's lives that if they don't go on social media then they really are missing out aren't they because all of their yeah. peers are on social media this is how you know younger people belong so it's incredibly difficult to know how to manage you know if there's lots and lots of negative input coming in and then, the, then the choice is to either go off and not talk to any of your friends on social media I mean it's an impossible choice I think for for the younger generation that you know that social media is such a massive part of their life you know it's how younger people belong and i'm I'm, I'm using kind of i'm saying younger people but i'm wondering whether there's any research on kind of older generations because i'm guessing these problems are not only with younger people i mean i'm guessing older people also get really addicted for social to social media possibly for different reasons you know Mm -hmm. as a antidote to loneliness and i'm just is there any research on kind of older generations
2: Look, um, the research in terms of adults and social media addiction, they're, they're, the one they've done in Harvard in the US, is they say that it's about 5 to 10% of an adult population is actually addicted. Now, when they say addicted, it probably is a spectrum, you know, from kind of a mild addiction, but mm. still problematic to um, what you would say a real addiction would constitute as being so that's five to ten percent is quite a lot if you think about you know Mm. if there was an illness that was affecting ten percent of the population you'd be concerned we'll be throwing um, money towards advertising in terms of saying hey there's a risk of doing this the same way as drinking alcohol or tobacco and you can actually get addicted but again because of its subtlety and how integrated social media use is in daily lives. It's actually something that we don't really think about. And the increase of smartphones, for example, has meant that it's just so accessible. We're not just talking about logging on to the internet, we're talking about a button, something that buzzes on your phone, that creates that rush, that adrenaline. And then, again, not just the physiological stuff, but all of the other things that come along with it, which is The the FOMO, the catfishing, the hours and hours of um, scrolling that means lack of productivity for some people. Um, So the, the actual downsides of it are endless. And they said one in three adults, when they have done this survey, said it's problematic for them
0: yeah i mean that's really i go, yeah that's not surprising really i think to me you know i mean there's a positive side of the course but you know i guess we are talking you know about the shadow side and what you were saying around the you know the brain i mean i've seen a picture of the brain lighting up when someone's using social media in the same way as you just got the brain kind of lighting up with addiction and and that's kind of scary. I mean, how, how do you treat people if someone comes to, to you or one of your psychologists and they, they really are addicted to social media and it's damaging their, their life? What, what do you do? I mean, what, what what kind of treatment plans do you have?
2: Well, usually a, 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 a treatment of cognitive and behavioral therapy. So that means a combination of thinking about social media in a different way. Generally, when people are addicted to social media, they would have positive beliefs about it. It's helping me connect with people. Everyone's doing it. It's not that harmful. It's mm. the only way I can de-stress. Behaviorally, it's about cutting down on their use. So you would put someone on, um, a, a, I guess, a graded weaning down process that limits mm. their daily use, depending on how many hours that would be. and then limiting the access to it. So a combination of some of these cognitive and behavioral strategies that really will tackle it like any addiction that we would be working through as a psychologist. But the other thing as well too, is that again, you know, it's understanding why that person got hooked in it in the first place. So often in addiction spheres, we ask about how this thing this the, the addiction represents something in their life what is it for is it a coping mechanism did it start off as a symptom of another problem and so trying to find out the cause as well which is a good question that all of us need to ask ourselves is like what are we using social media for how often do we use it and is that actually what we are using it for compared to what we're saying we're using it for mm-hmm.
0: No that's really interesting yeah so you kind of break down some of these some of these belief systems around social media and then you would just encourage that the, the the person who you know has the issue with social media just to gradually cut can kind of cut down their use so it's a yeah. really like an addiction model actually. yeah
2: and I mean you know we it, it sounds it sounds like, oh, we'll just slowly cut down. But remember, when if people are addicted, there's a lot of withdrawal symptoms mm. that happens that makes that very difficult for a person to stop. So it's not for the lack of acknowledgement sometimes that people still use it, but it's for more that they can't do it. You know, they've tried different ways of cutting back, but, you know, for whatever reason, it, it either comes back straight away or they've minimized it so they don't think it's actually a bigger problem than it is until they realize that they're feeling quite anxious or stressed or struggling to cut back on their use. So that's actually a telltale sign as well that you might be more addicted than you think.
0: Yeah, that must cover so many people. It's so many people. My
1: psychologist said to me not long ago because I was struggling with depression, I think it was maybe my job person because – I've, I'm i originally from the UK. So, my main form of for contact with family and friends and stuff is Facebook or WhatsApp. And because it's a lot of different, especially with COVID now, it's a lot different over there than it is here. I mean, I think they've gone into lockdown now, but before, like they were going to the pub and stuff, or well, we were stuck inside because of a lockdown over here in Melbourne. And my, I think it was my job lady or my psychologist said maybe when you're feeling down and you're seeing these things, like, I watch a lot of YouTube videos of people based in London. They go and do like these activities. They said maybe when you feeling down, try and avoid watching those sort of things, or avoid stuff like my group chat. Or my friends go to the pub; they'll post pictures and stuff. Avoid those sort of things because then it's going to make you feel worse. Because then you're not be able, to, you can't do those activities. And also, obviously, I haven't been able to see my friends and family for nearly like three years. In April, because of COVID, I think that was kind of affecting me a lot as well. And I think I'd probably avoid using social media a lot more if that wasn't my main form of co- contact and the way we promote the podcast. Because that's my form of contact with my parents. I can't just call them like you mm-hmm. would, it. and it's easier to call them on Facebook because it doesn't cost any money.
2: Yeah, and look, not everybody that actually um, uses social media or have a smartphone. Not not everyone. Um, gets addicted, right? Like this is the extreme forms where we're talking about how it starts causing mental health problems. Mm -hmm. And so within reason, if you're using your phone for just the general, you know, the positive things that social media brings, which is connecting with friends or family, um, maybe just briefly trying to sift through information, um, you know, you can very much quickly do that with social media. So there's certain functions of it that actually makes us feel good and certainly you know like sharing information rather than having 10 conversations of the same thing and and putting it on social media allows people to to know very quickly what you're doing but again you know the downsides of that is that you know the comparison to others is really hard as as humans we can't really like help but think about how someone has it and how my life is in comparison to them. That's innately, really, I feel, a human flaw that we actually kind of want to be better and do more and want to be liked and want to be loved. And as a, as a way of doing that, we want approval, right? And, and in terms of how do we get more approval, we find out what everyone else is doing and measure ourselves against that so we can move in that direction. So from a psychological perspective there's definitely a function to how we're behaving and why we're comparing ourselves to others it's just now there's just this platform that has never been tested before because before if you didn't know what someone else is doing because you can't see it then you don't know about it but what if you know and you have that information that is like an endless supply of I guess knowledge that we don't need that we actually might be better off without seeing as your psychologist or your your, your therapist suggested, Joe.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll just, just um, I don't want to keep our other guests waiting. So um, we will introduce her now. And um, thank you, Eileen, as well, for answering our questions. Um, I'd like to welcome Dr. Jill Sansfield, who's going to be talking about our, the topic from a personal perspective, and also giving us a little insight into a professional background yeah hi out.
3: everyone thank you so much for the invite onto your podcast thank, no, you. thank um, you
1: for coming on I'm um,
3: a registered counsellor um, yeah. in private practice in Redcliffe Queensland oh. so um and I work mainly with neurodiversity and um DV and family court trauma recovery
1: Awesome. Um, Can you tell a little bit about your personal experience with um, social media? Because you mentioned when we spoke via email that you had like a bit of a cleanse of Facebook and a break from Facebook and social media. Yeah.
3: And I'm I'm currently still on that. (laughs) So I guess it's like a social media detox. And it's something that I do talk about in my own um, work. But it's also, you know, practice what you preach. And I felt it was time to take a break from social media. And my two main platforms that I use are Facebook and Instagram. So I just deactivated. So I I didn't delete or I didn't just delete the app off my phone. I actually deactivated it. Um, The benefits have been huge. It was originally just to do it for one day and then just to see how I go. I haven't reactivated Facebook for over four weeks, five weeks, I think. The funny thing is i it's so easy to reactivate Instagram. All you have to do is press on the icon. And because I still have my business accounts, I accidentally pressed on that, the, the personal account that was deactivated and just automatically de- uh, reactivates. Whereas Facebook, you actually have to go in um, and put your password in and then it reactivates. So Facebook has been quite easy. Um, I've learned from the previous time I did a social media detox I, to have my business pages running. So for running minds, I needed to have um, someone else on the as an admin to keep them up and going. So I made sure that I did that before I deactivated my personal accounts as well.
0: Yeah. And the, the coming off of, I mean, I similarly, probably a couple of years ago now, I, you know, I decided to come off, come off Facebook you know, and from time to time, you know, I, my mind still misses it. And this is like, you know, this is like, I mean, I still have a, an Instagram account. I still have a Twitter account, but it, it shows how addictive it is. You know, even after all of this time, occasionally I'll get a flash. Oh, I wonder what's happening on on Facebook. But I, I just came off it because, I don't know, I was just scrolling endlessly. And I, I don't know, I just, just stopped really getting, I, I wasn't really enjoying it, really. I think that's what, what I found, really. I was just going onto Facebook, you know, I'd regularly go on Facebook and I'd look at it. I wasn't really enjoying it. It was just an automatic action, really. And when I came off it, I just found I had, not that I was on Facebook for, you know, hours, but I just found I had a bit more space, really, you know, time-wise. And, I mean, I have to say, and mind-wise as well. I mean, I don't know whether that's what you found really coming off.
3: It's funny you say it's that automatic response. So when you pick up your phone and you... Uh, swipe it to open it up my thumb immediately went to the Facebook and the Instagram account without I didn't even have to think about it well that's not where I was going I was going to probably look at something else but that was the first thing that I would go to automatically when I picked up my phone Mm -hmm. and I needed to break that habit and it's only sort of fourth week in that I am starting to break that habit of opening my phone and going straight to, um, you know, Facebook or Instagram. Um, so it is that habit and it's about breaking that habit and, you know, four weeks in and I'm only just starting to do that. Um, I'm still looking for it sometimes but nowhere near as much, which made me realise um how much I was on those apps and they were becoming just an everyday part of my life. And yeah, there are positives of being a part of the Facebook and is particularly for business connection as Joe was talking about um, and that sort of thing. But I also deactivated Messenger. Now, over the years, I have deactivated uh, Facebook on and off. I haven't always had Instagram. And sometimes, it was usually a week at a time. So this is probably the longest that I've gone without it maybe. And it's the first time that I've deactivated Messenger. If people want to get in contact with you, they will. There are other forms. There's still text message. There is still a phone number. And important people have my phone number, Um, you know, because I have a different phone number to my my work phone as well. Um, And there's still email. I'm still contactable by email. And on my phone, I do have all notifications turned off. So unless someone rings me or text messages me, even though I have the sound off, but all my notifications for all apps are off, it just takes that noise away, declutters my mind. And that's what I also found with deactivating these accounts. It just removed some of that noise. Um, You know, there were a few topics that you touched on, including the fear of moving out. What's everybody else doing? Well, how about I just focus on what I'm doing? for a while, and become more productive. And I have found that doing a social media detox, I have become more productive on things that I actually want to do, simple things including um, reading a book, a physical book. (laughs) Remember those? Mm -hmm. You know, you have to turn the page. Um, Mm. So, you know, little things like that, little benefits like that um, I have found along the way. And I'm not missing it as much as I thought I would either which has been wonderful because it like Eileen was saying it's not something you can just go straight into and that's it cut it off I did it gradually i I set you know something that was attainable all right let's see how I go for 24 hours 48 hours and it just got easier it didn't get harder it actually got easier
0: yeah. Yeah, um, it is really, you know, I mean I, I use a lot of mindfulness in my client work and you know, it's really the opposite of that, isn't it? I mean, I just find when I do go and say, I mean, it's just mindless, really. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, am I even there when I'm <laughs> scrolling? I'm not even present, really. It's just always the next thing, isn't it? It's almost like, you know, social media kind of mirrors something that I think is probably the worst thing about, well, not the worst thing, but one of the worst things about society. And it, it Certainly, you know, in, in the West, it's always the next thing, isn't it? It's future, it's next, it's next, it's next. You know, the very opposite of, you know, present moment focus and mindfulness. So, you know, yeah, when you when I hear you say, you know, your mind is kind of less cluttered, I don't think that's exactly how you put it without it. I mean, I can really, really understand that. Yeah, sorry, Joe, I kind of talked over yeah, you. So
1: I was just going to say, I deactivated my old account ages ago. I had an account. And that's back when I was experiencing a lot of people tagging me and stuff or being a, like, what would be classed as cyberbullying or people sharing photos of mine and putting horrible comments of, so i just deactivated my account so i didn't have them block them all made a new account block them all and just the difference and cutting those toxic people and the toxic comments and only having people that i want on my Facebook, it made such a big difference and and as you said before i think quite a lot of businesses use facebook and social media now to kind of get business and contact people i, I found that i was doing a internship for a production company so I was doing a lot of Facebook stuff with them and searching stuff and then I was working for did like a little a few a few weeks with one of their clients well she's like the lady was a publicist so she did a lot a lot of promotional work for people so I was doing work for one of their clients she's like a tower tower block management management company so I was doing all their social media for a while and do notice, especially nowadays, a lot of businesses use Facebook or Instagram or Twitter to do promotional stuff or contact, their, contact or get clients in or get customers in.
3: Yeah, and, and that was the thing I had to make sure that I had someone else on to admin my business pages. Um, most of my clients come through um, a website called Psychology Today but I still need a present. I think all businesses, it's important to have a presence on social media as well. But I share a lot of my research. Um, or I did a PhD in um, on autism. So a lot of my research I share on my social media, but I schedule it so that I can have that break and separate myself and I have someone else looking after it. So yeah. Um, yeah that that was the another aspect of doing this detox i had to think how how i was going to go about it because i had learned previously if i deactivate my personal account there goes my business account but i do need that social media presence for my business
1: yeah we use instagram and twitter and stuff for all promotion stuff for the the podcast and to get guests and I think I wouldn't use it in Instagram as much. I don't, I don't really use it for personal use as much as I used to. Like I use it mainly to, if there's film promotion and stuff or my football team, the team I support shares something like as what are their game results, I'll use it for that. But I predominantly use Instagram for the podcast, really, just to share stuff and my photography stuff I use it for. Um, but I probably, probably use Facebook a lot more because of the connection back home and WhatsApp. I don't really use Twitter very much, apart from promotional stuff. Because I just found Twitter can be quite a very toxic environment because you can can block people, but then they can just make another account. Or if someone tags you in something, if you're blocked, if they're blocked, they can still see what you're tagged in and comment on it without you seeing it. I've noticed because I had that happen a few times. Someone tweeted something and then someone else commented and obviously I couldn't see it. And one of my friends, who wasn't, didn't have them blocked, said, "Oh, have you seen what they've tweeted?" And then obviously they showed me. But I feel like at least with Facebook, you can block people and then you can't see what they've posted at all. There's such okay. a difference, especially in those sort of on each of the platforms. There's all the different. They have their advantages and disadvantages and stuff when it comes to those sort of situations.
0: And I just wanted to kind of add, you know, I mean, Twitter. It, it, there's so much hate on there i mean it, it's almost like the perfect displacement activity you know plate displacement area, isn't it? people that might be angry with people in their own lives and they can't express that well let's just find a stranger on twitter and let's just be really really angry you know with them you know okay, i go so complex i think people's relationships and individual isn't it i think with with, with social media yeah I, I just wanted to to ask you a little this is a bit of a segue but the running mind's I wanted to ask a bit about that, really, if that's okay. I know we're kind of moving off social media a little bit for a second, but I was just really curious. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
3: So um, I'm a runner, so hence the play on words with running minds. I uh, work in person and um, online via Zoom, and I work with individuals, um, uh, adults uh, mainly. And um, so I've been, this is my second year in private practice. My background is in teaching. So I used to work as a a school teacher and and in university lecturing as well, um, education subjects. So I I am an advocate for normalising the conversation around mental health. And um, even though I'm a therapist, it doesn't mean that I'm immune to you know I I still have to manage my own mental health as well which is you know what I was saying social media detox it's it's a it's a great thing there are so many benefits and when I felt that my anxiety was getting a little bit too much and I was trying to work out why you know I was wasting time on apps like automatically going into Facebook and Instagram and just like you said, Mark, mindlessly scrolling, it wasn't helping my anxiety. And I'm thinking, hang on, I need to manage this better. So one of those ways was coming, stepping back from social media. Um, I do think managing um, things like depression, anxiety, it's a holistic approach. It's not just, okay, I'll do this and it fixes it. Um, If I had a, you know, a magic potion, then, you know, I'd be super rich, but it's not, um, you've got to look at the root of the problem as well. So for me, I needed, it was time to um, have a a social media detox and I've continued that for now. Do I know when I'm going to go back on to to Facebook? No, I don't. At the moment, um, I'm just leaving it as is. I haven't deactivated my Instagram account again because I have realised that I'm not on it as much anyway so i have you know distanced myself a little bit i'm on other social media um, platforms you mentioned twitter i've um i use it very rarely do i go on it maybe once a month so it, you know that wasn't um, an issue for me but social media um especially getting into where it's a, the addictive part especially with relationships and having a look at um, other people whether it's of the same sex or opposite sex um, and looking at who's posting comparisons, I think Eileen was talking about the, you know, mm-hmm. comparing yourself to others. That certainly does come up um, with my clients, and um, we do take that well, I take that approach with. You can't just go straight in there and stop. It's like with anything; you've it's a it's a process, step by step, to um, gradually break away from that addiction.
0: I guess the comparison I mean I'm going to bring in something that's a massive subject that we could probably have about 10 podcasts talking about but I just wanted to briefly bring in kind of eating disorders and, and social media I mean obviously there's so much linkage there I mean just uh, how, how do you I mean how, how do you see it I mean did you work with clients I'm guessing you probably do you know that are probably have eating disorders or developed eating disorders because of the comparison and you know such an unfair comparison is not social media everyone's putting up they know they take 200 photos they put up their best one just wonder whether you can maybe just talk a little bit more around that if that's okay
3: i think it's a can be an issue for um really anyone um Hmm. it's uh, i saw a lot in my younger female clients um particularly with um body image and yeah it is hard and it it also goes on the algorithm. What you're looking at is what they'll show you more of as yeah. well, which is not necessarily helpful. Um, so one way of counteracting it is um, on Instagram particularly, for example, is unfollowing those um, people or profiles that aren't helpful in that respect. And I've, I've done it myself Um those that i felt were either negative or didn't make myself that didn't make me feel good about myself and and i thought oh you know i'm starting to compare myself and i don't want to do that um though i am following a lot of the um body positive profiles and you know normalizing what are for example a woman's shape and body looks like um, i think it's danae mercer and uh um, Hayley Madigan, Hayley, mm, I, think, I can't think of the name, but there's a couple of um, profiles that are, are quite big and they. Um, I find those profiles useful. So it's about unfollowing ones that you don't find useful that are not making you feel good um, and maybe just following those that, you know, do make you feel good. Yeah. There's no harm in unfollowing. if you block or unfollow someone doesn't mean you if you block or yeah unfollow someone doesn't mean you can't follow them or you know unblock them yeah later
1: do you find maybe those sort of things like eating disorders and body image affect women more than men maybe like women compare themselves more to like maybe someone's a little bit someone posts like a picture of them in the bikini and they're like really skinny someone's going to compare themselves to that as opposed to Maybe someone like me. If someone posted someone with their like six pack app, i is less likely to affect me. I'm less likely to compare myself to that than a woman would, would if someone posted like
3: yeah.
1: a bikini body or something.
3: Women do tend to um, be targeted more, um, and women are targeted by both men and women. It's um, you know, and going out back to the trolling, especially if. That person doesn't know them. It it just feels like keep a warrior behind the screen. You know, you're untouchable. When in fact, there's somebody else behind that profile that you're writing that comment. And I haven't had it happen to me personally, but I have seen it. I have seen it on, um, especially um, celebrities or well-known figures that people Mm -hmm. that people tend to think well, they don't have feelings, and they all tend to comment on their body more or you know whether they mean it or not and it's just to be nasty I don't know um, the intentions but women do tend to be targeted more often mm. especially on their body image rather than what they say
0: yeah, but, uh, yeah just wonder you, you're kind of nodding I you know, so did you want to come in and just pick up on anything that uh, Jill was just talking about
2: I no, was just saying, you know, like um very similar to it. Um Jill was saying about the you know, the how the cleansing is actually not something that you'll miss. It's actually something that I don't think people realize until they have done it. And or the the there's so there's rewards what I was talking about before, but there's also punishment. So this is the punishment. You get the wrong kind of attention. So people like your stuff and you feel good about yourself and then sometimes, you know, there is this negative attention, but it's still attention. And depending on, um, I guess, the self esteem of the individual that puts their life out there to be quite dangerous. And the flaw in the system is that what Joe was saying, the algorithm is set that if you're watching and looking at a specific group, the algorithms will mean that you'll see more of it, the more you see of it, the more that it starts to rewire your brain. And so it's all this spiral in terms of what you're seeing, what you start obsessing about. And then Mark, you're asking about, you know, like in terms of uh, like body image, I guess it's kind of like, well, yeah, then you'll see a lot of body image stuff. If you see, if you follow a lot of designer influences, clothing, wealth, you know, mansions and cars, yeah. you'll probably yeah. see a lot of those in your feed. And so a lot of what you're looking at becomes, the problem that you feel inadequate about, or you feel insecure about, but instead of dealing with the issue, you actually feel that need as if, you know, you're kind of think, you're thinking about it, you're looking at it, but you're not really doing anything about it, or you're not really identifying Mm -hmm. what the gap is, what is this obsession? What is this fixation, which might be coming from a good place. It's like, hey, I started looking at that to feel inspired to want to work on my business and be an entrepreneur and yeah. you know it sometimes turns into the bad side of social media and we become jealous and envious and not good enough and so all of those things come to the surface um subtly and gradually
1: it's still out of the time i just wanted to know if anyone wanted to contact either you where would they find you
2: yeah, they'll find me on my website, which is mindsetpsychology.com.au. I do also have a Facebook page, which is the Private Practices Facebook page, Mindset Consulting Psychology, and Dr. Aileen um, on Instagram.
1: Awesome. I'll share the links on our socials. You email me after the episode. I'll share them on Aileen. our social media. You. And yourself, Jill?
3: Runningminds.com.au. And if you um, pop on the website, I've got links directly to the Facebook and Instagram page on there, which is um, of the same name, Running Minds.
1: Awesome. Um, and what is your favourite bit of advice in regards to the topic that you would give our listeners?
2: I'll go first. <laughs> if that's okay. I was like, I don't want Jill to steal mine. Um, everything in moderation. I believe that, you know, there are things in life that we can enjoy, there are positive things that we can get out of everything, but to be um, mindful of our use and using that in moderation with everything else.
3: Oh, absolutely, Aileen, balance, absolutely. Um, So I'd like to add, if you wanna do a social media detox, start small, start with 24 hours. You don't have to go in, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm going off all social media. Choose one platform and just take a break for 24 hours and see how you go and then review and think, okay, well, I managed to do that and maybe do it for a, a little longer. And what is the purpose behind why you're doing the social media detox too? But many benefits, even if it's a small uh, social media detox. Have a go. Awesome.
1: Thank you, Pam. And thank you, Mark, for helping co-host again. Yeah, another episode. Um, we'll be back on Sunday and Monday with the 2 parter episode on alternative therapies. Um, so stay tuned for that. And um, thank you to both of our guests for joining us. Um, hopefully it helps a few people. Um, and uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, yet again. Thank you, guys.
0: Thank you. Nice thank to meet you so both. Much. Thanks for coming thank on. You.
3: Okay. Thank you. Bye.
1: If you or anyone you know has been affected by the topics discussed in today's episode or previous episodes, please contact your local or country's helpline. You will find them by going to Google and typing in helpline. Um, they have Samaritan Suicide Helpline, but remember that you're not alone, as the title of the podcast says. And um, there are many other people like you that have got mental health issues and feel suicidal and feel alone. But there's always someone there for you to talk to, be it a friend, a family member, a stranger, a psychotherapist or a doctor. There's someone to talk to. I've been in that position before. And talking to someone really does help. It's OK to not be OK. And I will see you in the next episode.